There's a band in Wellington, New Zealand calling themselves D. Crabbin, and they just released an album called Mining the Geyer. We are opening up episode 238 of Monster Kid Radio with their song Dinner Nina. It's from the new album. Again, that's Mining the Geyer. It appears on this podcast with their permission. Welcome to Monster Kid Radio, classic monsters, modern talk. I'm your host, writer, producer, Derek M. Cook. I'm excited because this time around on Monster Kid Radio, we've got two things. I'm knocking out some feedback that I've had over the past couple of weeks, over the past couple of episodes. But before that, I'm going to take you back in time to last weekend, specifically Sunday, September 20th, when I attended the Rose City Comic Con here in Portland, Oregon. It was a Comic Con. There are a few horror personalities there. I don't really get down with spending a ton of money on celebrity photo opportunities, but I was hoping that I'd find some monster kid-friendly content, somebody to talk to about monster movies while I was there, and that's what you're going to hear in this episode of Monster Kid Radio. Monster Kid goes to Comic-Con and some feedback, and we're going to get to all of that right after this. Marathon. Now all in one gigantic show. Three of the newest and most exciting monster hits starring Earth champion and protector Godzilla. First thrill to Godzilla on Monster Island with more monsters than have ever appeared on the screen at one time. Then it's the action-packed Godzilla versus the cosmic monster. And finally, the classic Godzilla versus Megalon. All three in one colossal show. Rated G. Hammer Film Productions began in 1934, and after producing almost 200 films and television programs, the studio is still releasing and re-releasing new and classic film titles. 1951 Downplace is the podcast that brings you the story of the great Hammer films, one movie at a time. Here are your hosts, describing what Hammer means to them. First is Casey. Hammer means the beautiful and glamorous women of Hammer Horror, the engaging storytelling and amazing period films. Joining him is Derek. Hammer means the incredible work of actors like Peter Cushing, Christopher Lee, and even Michael Ripper. The gothic storytelling, the incredible music, and the set pieces. And finally, here's Scott. Um, well, Hammer means how to get a nail into a block of wood. This boy has a lot to learn. Join our hosts as they make their journey through the Hammer Films catalogue and discuss each film with critical opinion, historical facts, production notes and other information about these classic films. 1951 Downplace can be found in iTunes or their website www.1951downplace.com Should I have said Hammer Pants? 1951 Downplace, the home of Hammer Films discussion. in the greatest battle of all time. As the seven brothers and their one sister meet Dracula. Drink the blood of the virgins and turn them into zombies. Ah! 
seen Kung Fu until you've seen the seven brothers and their one sister in action against Dracula. City Comic Con has quickly grown into a very large premier comic book convention here in Portland. It takes place at the Oregon Convention Center now. It used to take place in a much smaller venue, but they quickly outgrew that venue and more than fill up the space. The convention floor is typically divided. There's all the red carpet celebrity stuff happening on one side and then Artist Alley and all the other vendors off to the other. Some of the bigger vendors are typically right down the center of the room. Well, when I go to a convention these days, I try to go to the smaller creators. I like to go to Artist Alley and see what the writers have and see what various retailers are doing and creators are doing in the comic book culture. But as a monster kid, I'm always looking for monsters. I'm always looking for something monstrous, whether it's kaiju, lucha, classic stuff, whatever. I want to find monster kids to talk with. Well, am I going to find any monster kid content here at Rose City Comic Con? Yes, I am. And not just because I met up with Tom Doffel and his wife, Kiri Doffel, on the floor. This has actually become kind of a tradition now for the comic book conventions that come through Portland. I'll try to meet up with Tom and Kiri and walk the floor. It's just a lot of fun, something that we do whenever there's a show. And we'll be doing it again at Wizard World next year, I'm sure. But I'm getting ahead of myself. We're walking the floor and... I see a few things here and there that I'm going to get back to. There's a couple of panels that I want to get to, so I'm trying to make a point to get through every single Artist Alley booth and just see who's there, who's set up, who's doing what. Devin Devereaux was there. Of course, I didn't get a chance to chat with Devin this time around, but he'll be at the Lovecraft Film Festival, and hopefully I can chat with him there. What I did come across was in the very back of the room, a woman set up with a table, some books out front, and then a banner with drawings of little kid versions of most of the classic movie monsters. The banner also reads, Welcome to Monsterdell. Well, I knew this is somebody that I needed to chat with. I introduced myself, and she introduced herself as Rebecca Hicks, and she agreed to chat for a few minutes on the show. Listeners, I'm wandering the floor here at Rose City Comic Con, and I see this banner behind the table. It says, Welcome to Monsterdell. What monster are you? And there are six adorable, monstrous, but adorable drawings of what would look like monster kids? And I started talking to the person at the table. Rebecca, how are you? 
I'm doing awesome. How are you doing? I'm good. Is the show drinking you okay? Oh, yeah. I love this show so hard. Yeah? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I adore, I adore Portland and Rose City Comic Con. It's just the best. What is Monsterdale? Uh, Monsterdale is a town in a forest just to the left of wherever you live where little monsters uh, live their monster lives. They're on average about six inches tall. And the little vampires are residents of Monsterdale that try to be really big and fierce and fail spectacularly at it. And their friends just kind of sit back and watch. Uh, so that's Monsterdale. It's a place that humans can visit if they can find it. Okay, so is it all monsters here? I mean, it's a, nothing but monsters in the town? It is nothing but monsters, um, but that doesn't keep them from checking out our larger human stuff. Ah. So if you have blood oranges in your house and you live near Monsterdale, keep them locked up because the little vampires will try to eat them. Okay. <laughs> Well, they got to get their vitamin C somewhere, right? Yes, they are very healthy. They actually think there's actual blood in actual blood oranges, and I just don't have the heart to tell them otherwise because they're so healthy. They never get sick. It's awesome. <laughs> this is a webcomic, right? Uh, yeah, uh, little-vampires.com, and I update uh, three times a week. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, I'm up to over 700 comics now, which I'm just like, man, I need to get a life. Uh, but I'm really having fun sharing this world with people. Mm-hmm. Have you always been a fan of the classic? I mean, it looks like classic monster influence through and through. Oh, yeah. A fan of the classic movie monsters, but also I've always been a fan of mythology and folklore. So I love the more obscure the monster story, um, the better for me. So for me, the movies are just a continuation of this great history of monster lore. You have a particular favorite beast? Um, you know, that is a tough one because it kind of changes every day. It's like, what's my favorite color? Oh, ask me again tomorrow. What's my favorite band? Um, I, but in my, in my heart, uh, Frankenstein's monster and Shelley's story just have always, always, always gotten to me. So yeah, I have a special place in my heart. Uh, I represent that with uh, the character of Frank in the Little Vampires comic. He's, he's most like me on my quiet days. So I absolutely adore that story. So a little bit of monsters, a little bit of you. And I'm looking at the drawing of Frankenstein here. He looks like the Karloff model. Oh, absolutely. Um, that, that visual, you can't escape that visual. Um, I try to be original in my designs, but still have my characters be recognizable. So, And, I mean, you just can't top Karloff, especially Bride of Frankenstein in particular. That movie is just, that movie holds up. It is so, so genius. I mean, just, I could study the set design in that movie for days, right? Um, but his performance is just, it could not be anyone else who could do that and convey that. I, monsters were not sympathetic before right. Frankenstein's monster was on the screen. And that's when people really started realizing, hey, maybe there's something to, just genius, 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 genius. So yeah, it's, it's my way of honoring Karloff without completely ripping him off. <laughs> <laughs> Always a plus. Yeah. You mentioned Bride of Frankenstein. You're doing a webcomic. And we talked earlier off mic about blending humor with the horror. And Bride of Frankenstein's got a lot of subversive humor in it. What is it about humor and horror that makes it go so well together, you think? I think it's like if we really, really, as human beings, if we think really, really hard about life, it is horrible and depressing. So we deal with this with stories, and horror stories are a way to deal with the horrors of real life. Humor is another way to deal with the horrors of real life. So I'm like, hey, let's two great tastes that go great together. Right. It's just a way of laughing at the part of life that we can't control. It's like we're going to laugh at it, and we're going to admit that it's scary and enjoy being scared by it. So it's, it's, I, it's the roller coaster effect. It's like, oh, my God, this is terrifying, but it's awesome. So horror and humor, I, for me, they've helped me cope with the dark times in my life. So I'm like, I know I can't be the only person who needs that. 
So they just they'd go so beautifully together. You mentioned Abbott and Costello when I was by earlier. Yeah. Of the films, which one's your favorite? Oh, you know what? I'm not sure why. Maybe it's because I just love like Egyptian mythology and everything, but the mummy. Really? Yeah, the mummy one. Wow. But I really I couldn't really say that any of them are my favorite because I just just as a collective I just love uh-huh. and I'm and then there's just non-monster related, but who's on first is one of the most oh. genius pieces of humor writing. Ever so, yeah. I grew up watching those on like PBS growing up in New York. I know watching all these. I'm like, I had no idea who these guys were, but I loved it. I'm like, it's funny. It's monsters. What can go wrong? <laughs> you know, uh, the Mummy one. That's the last one in the series that they did, and you know, the budget's pretty small. It's pretty threadbare, but I love it as well. I love me a good Mummy story. Is there a Mummy and Monster down? Oh yeah, um, Mumsy. Um, <laughs> Mumsy is uh, one of the curators of the museum in Monsterdell um, because he comes originally from the British Museum. So he's one of the more proper monsters. Um, but he also uh, he drives his sarcophagus, and whenever the little vampires need a ride, they usually hitch a ride with Mumsy. They like to go to the store with the containers because uh, Mumsy's always getting new canopic jars, and the little vampires love to organize their collection of rice into containers, so they usually catch a ride with him. Yeah, I've thought about this a little too hard, really. No, uh, Mumsy, I would like to uh, develop Mumsy's character a little more, actually, because I really, I've, I've been thinking about him more lately. And I really want to flesh out, pardon the pun, um, <laughs> the world of the mummies in Monster Dell. Because in Monster Dell, they're not just singular monsters, with the exception of Frank and Elsa. I don't call her the bride because they're just friends. Um, and I want to um, honor Elsa, so uh-huh. amazing as the bride and the bride of Frankenstein. So sure. that's why I call her Elsa. It has nothing to do with Frozen, even though I love that movie. Um, but there are multiples. There, you know, there's many zombies in Monster Dell. There are many uh, lycanthropes. Uh, in fact, Wolfie, the Wolfman character, is part of a large family, uh, the Fanglies. Yeah, I'm really creative with the naming. Um, but I really haven't developed the mummies. It's like there's more than one mummy, and they're not, they're not just Egyptian. I'd love to throw in some Peruvian mummies Ooh. and stuff. So, yeah, that's, he's, he's on the list of characters I want to develop some more. This sounds amazing. So I'm going to send listeners to the website to check us out. But is there merchandise or anything that promotes Monster Dell people can buy? Uh, yeah. In fact, there's a link to the store from the webcomic. But I really, I really prefer people read the webcomic for free and enjoy. And if you really like the world, click on the store and you'll see art. Um, I have mugs with the little vampire on it. This is not a morning person. I have Wolfie plush dolls, which I absolutely love how they came out. He's got a little tracksuit and a zipper. Um, in order to keep doing this and creating this... I have to make a living, and so I try to make merchandise that are it's art people can use and enjoy, and that represents their love of monsters, uh, just like my work represents mine. Sure, you know, I mean, us monster kids got to stick together and support each other, and that's why I ask. So we'll make sure there's a link to that. I'm looking at the the Wolfie plush right now; it's amazing. What went into that? Oh, um, I worked with uh, people who actually know how to sew, and um, because I can draw, and that's about it. And I sent them a drawing of Wolfie from the front, from the side, and from the back. And then they produced this amazing plush. They sent me a prototype, and I was like, oh, my God, it's my character. Absolutely wonderful um, uh, to do that. That took a lot of time and a lot of investment, but it's been worth it. I try to make stuff as much as possible by hand. Mm -hmm. And that was one that we're like, no, Wolfie's a strong enough character design that we believe in him. So, And it's totally, ooh, it's paid off, thank goodness. (laughs) Why the tracksuit? 
Um, you know what? It's really cliche, but it's a cliche because it works. Wolfie's the athlete. He's the one. I mean, when you look oh, at dogs, okay. they're always running around. It's my little nod to Teen Wolf as well. Oh. I do love. I'm, I love my wow. Michael J. Fox. Okay. Um, so there's a little bit of a nod to it there, and it just the red worked on his brown fur. So color-wise, it worked. It's yes, it's a little bit of an Adidas kind. Of, I mean, I'm, it's even a Run DMC reference. I'm like. <laughs> <laughs> My characters like what I like, and I'm crazy. So it's that. But adding the zipper to it, people pick up the Wolfie at conventions like this one, and they play with the zipper, and then they're delighted by it, and they buy it. So I'm like, okay, whatever works, people. Whatever works. But no, Wolfie and his whole family is actually full of uh, athletes. His sister Luna can totally beat him in every sport, but he won't admit that. <laughs> Yeah, and his little brothers, Romulus and Remus, uh, they're constantly running around. Baby La Lupita, we're not quite sure what she's into yet because she's still in diapers. Mm. So, and even his, even his mom and dad, the Fangly, the Fang, Fangly parental units are athlete, athletes. <laughs> I'm not saying that all lycanthropes are athletes, okay? That is monsterist. <laughs> we do not like monsterism. No. No, monsters are really cool to each other. It's like, no, they don't do that. Uh, but the Fangly family, definitely very competitive and fun when it comes to sports. This whole thing just reeks of fun. I could hang out playing with your flush, your plushies here, and I know that sounds a little odd, but I mean, I love this stuff here. This is amazing, and I hope it continues for years to come for you. I do too, because I really have put a lot of uh, thought and effort into developing this world because I love it, and I just want other people to love being there. So uh, come to the website, visit Monsterdale, you guys. You are welcome. Just tie up your blood oranges okay <laughs> the web address one more time a little dash vampires.com we'll make sure there's a link in the show notes rebecca thank you so much and have a good rescue show oh thank you so much the web comics at little dash vampires.com go check it out and just scroll through there's something adorable and heartwarming and monstrous about seeing these little monsters and the adventures they go through it's cute it's fun. It's funny. And again, like I said, it's monstrous. Go check it out. Let them know that you heard about him here on Monster Kid Radio. I do have a wolfie of my very own. In fact, if you look at the episode image of this podcast, you're going to see what wolfie looks like in the tracksuit. And of course, you can get a wolfie of your very own. Again, it's little-vampires.com. Now, I continued to walk the floor, and when I first showed up, one of the things that I wanted to do was make sure I found the Kaiju cast in Kadoja booth. I'm friends with Kyle and Jeff and Brian and Rachel from the Kaiju cast, and I knew that Keith Foster, the writer behind the comic book Kadoja, was going to be there as well, and they were teaming up to create an awesome booth. It wasn't just a matter of setting up a table and talking about what they do, selling the comic, that sort of thing. No, they created a photo op for convention guests to pose in a scene in which they can destroy the city of Portland, specifically the convention center. If you subscribe to the Monster Alley Checkpoint e-newsletter, you'll see a picture of me standing in the display. It was pretty cool, and Kyle's going to describe it for us here. I've got Kyle lined up. I've got a few other members of the Kaiju cast lined up, as well as Keith Foster. Why don't we roll into that right now? I can't go to a, a con in the Portland area without running into this guy. I'm talking about a friend of mine, fellow podcaster, colleague. Sometimes we tread in the same waters. Kyle Yount, how you doing, sir? I'm actually doing pretty well. I'm a little tired, you know, been doing the cons the last day of the show, but uh, it's been a ton of fun, and yeah, I, I just can't complain. So I'm going to put a picture of me posing in your booth, but for our Good. listeners, can you describe what you've done here, because it's magical. Sure. So I'm tabling or boothing here with Keith Foster, who writes Kadoja, and 
we decided, a, you know, several months ago that we were going to buck the system of just having your product out and that's it. So we built a miniature Portland cityscape with four cardboard box buildings, a cutout of the convention center, a cutout of Big Pink, the U.S. Bank Tower, and a, uh, and a backdrop of Mount Hood. And we've just been having people come by and take photos like they're giant monsters crushing the city. Have you had to keep people from actually crushing your buildings? There have been a few people who have been like, I get to destroy a city? And I'm like, you don't actually get (laughs) to crush the buildings that we spend so much time on. Has anybody come by dressed as a kaiju? Uh, No. Actually, I, I am shocked at the lack of any kaiju stuff. The closest thing we had is there were two Jaeger pilots yesterday that oh. came by. So we, I, I actually chased them down. I was like, <laughs> oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, I think over here. Uh, they were very skeptical at first. They were like, how much does it cost? And I was like, nothing? It's free, you know? It's, you know but come on over. And so we got a couple of pictures with them. Their helmets lit up and everything. Oh, it was nice. awesome. Really cool. I'm always surprised. When we were talking off mic, I'm really surprised that there's not a greater presence for a lot of these monster-type things here in the Portland area. I True. mean, the Kaiju cast is so, I'm going to say successful, and I'm not trying to, you know, I mean, you already got my, my prizes from you earlier, so right. I'm not yeah, trying to yeah, kiss, yeah, up, yeah. kiss up to you, but, I mean, your show is one of the standards. Yeah. Uh, where do you see your Kaiju cast going next? You know, I think it's probably going to kind of continue along as it is, and just as I get more free time, over the years, I'll just keep expanding on things that I want to do, like Hail to the King and whatever the next thing is. I've got a whole bunch of crazy kaiju ideas that I want to you know, start heading down that road and figure out which one looks like the next, the next big thing for me. But I'm going to continue doing the kaiju cast. And, you know, we've got... I don't know if that was an actual, like many years down the road question or an immediate question like what our next episode is oh but, uh, no whatever man uh, but you know we're going to continue doing the discussions and continue trying to get cool guests on and just talking about things one of the things we just launched our first episode of was instead of having a genre topic to cover or a specific movie we're learning in one specific episode talking to an expert about one particular historical kaiju related figure uh, person and that was Akira Ifukube. We talked to Eric Hominick who runs that website akiraifukube.org and that was fantastic to, to learn about Ifukube's life uh, this is the composer for your listeners. Sorry, I'm not on my show. No, 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 that's fine. I was going to say it if you didn't. <laughs> yeah, the Godzilla composer, and he did a whole bunch of movies, and he's been extremely influential. So it, we're going to be doing one on Ishiro Honda. Nice. We'll definitely be doing one on Eiji Subaraya eventually. It's just one of those things I want to start using the Kaiju Cast more as an educational tool when I can. Okay, so you've mentioned a couple things that I want to comment on, and I'm going to do it publicly on my show. One, okay. Hail to the King amazing. Uh, I know I've done a review on it in our newsletter, but you know, face-to-face, man, it's one of my favorite documentaries of the year. What? Amazing. That's cool. Thank you so much for saying that. And then the last episode, the Akira Fukube. Oh, yes. Solid. Now, I'm a soundtrack guy, so I was excited to hear it. Cool. But I love the branching out, the more scholarly approach, as well as the fun stuff that you guys do. This was amazing, so I really enjoyed that as well. Yeah, you're getting to see uh, both. You just heard the Ifukube episode, and then you got to do the Giant Monster Happy Challenge today. (laughs) (laughs) So that was the game show. Now, uh, Martin... Uh, recorded it. Yeah. And if it turned out okay, it'll turn up on YouTube or something. But the game show is a family feud style game show 
even though my team completely lost. I'm blaming Jeff Dean for that. It's probably best to blame Jeff yeah, Dean for yeah. any, any troubles you have. It was so much fun. What gave you the idea to do that? What did give me the idea? Come here, Rachel. You're actually, this is an integral part of this interview. So Derek here just asked me what gave me the idea to do a game show for the panel. We had an episode uh, a couple of months ago where Rachel and Jeff went off about how much they loved game shows. And <laughs> I don't know why I thought it would be a good idea, but I was like, what do you think? Should we do a game show for the for the panel at Rose City Comic Con? And Rachel was like, yes! Yes, absolutely. So this is Rachel, by the way, for your listeners. She's one of my co-hosts on the podcast. Yep. Hello. So I find it ironic that Jeff and you were like, yes, let's do a game show, yet we were on the team together that totally bombed yes. yeah we, we lost utterly it was magnificent yeah really bad very embarrassing yeah yeah I know I know it's Jeff's fault right it is Jeff's fault okay. yeah we can blame Jeff yeah he's yeah, not here absolutely. so it's easy to blame okay. Jeff yeah. exactly it's the quickest the quickest route to blame is Jeff yeah and and the opposing team was cheating the whole time you know, I, I tried to slip 20 bucks to Kyle when I went up, and he didn't take it. He didn't have a pocket ready, so. Yep, yep. I know. Maybe he's a top dollar man. Maybe 20 wasn't enough. Oh. It yeah. was insulting, sir. No. <laughs> he was on that panel about how to go pro with your podcast. Oh, yeah. So. That's something I could really claim. I'm a pro at podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Rachel's been on the show quite a bit. You, you want to chat for a sec? What do you think of the show? What do you think of the con? I think it's a lot of fun. I do want to run and see if there's still a Rancor in a booth that I can try to snatch. There's if a it, uh, There was a vintage Rancor. Oh, vintage figure, Rancor. Yeah, the toy. That, yes, the yes, Return yes, of the yes. Jedi. God, yes. I thought you meant there was like an actual like, gigantic oh my God. Rancor. You would not thing. hear me shutting up about it okay. if there was actually a Rancor right. here. <laughs> well, I don't want to keep you from this this so, glorious find. So I know. But um, but yeah, I, I, uh, I've been having a good time, though. It's been a lot of fun. A lot of great cosplay. A lot of... This booth, of course, for the Kaiju cast was fantastic, and lots of fun pictures to be taken in a mm -hmm. miniature city. And yeah, it was a blast. Awesome. Go get your Rancor. All right, I'm going to try. We'll see. I don't okay. know if it's still there, <laughs> or if they'll take what I'm going to offer for it. <laughs> <laughs> so on the show, putting you on the spot, what's it going to take to do the Kaiju cast X Monster Kid Radio crossover? Uh, honestly, it's going to take the time of us scheduling okay. it. I mean, I'm still really down for it. I'm, awesome. I really want to do it. Um, just as a as an example, September alone has been nonstop for me in terms of like people coming to visit, us going and doing things, like the podcasting, my other podcasts I produce about Rachel the X Men, mm -hmm. Rachel and Miles explain the X Men. Is how you actually say that name? Uh, <laughs> yeah, just it's really it's all about time now. <laughs> but it is on. I, I'm oh, saying yeah, right now on the show, on, it yeah. is on. We are definitely going to do something, and it's going to be awesome. You truly are a pro, sir. I look up to what you do. So thank you very keep much. doing it. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thanks for uh, taking the time to chat with us on MKR. Have the rest of the show. Have, have an awesome time. You too. There's not man. much left. You too. But, you know. Yeah. Thank goodness. Actually, for me, <laughs> I'm, I am ready to lay down in a bed for a week. <laughs> I hear you. I've only been here one day, and I hear you. <laughs> cool, man. So you might know him as a fellow podcaster. You might know him as a musician. You might know him as the writer of the incredibly awesome comic book, Kadoja. 
Oh, you just might know him as Keith Foster. Keith, how you doing? I am good, Derek. How are you doing, man? I'm doing good. How is the show treating you? It's good. I mean, Portland Rose City has become a staple of my rotation. So, you know, I, I do, I've, I've lost my voice like any yeah. good convention, um, so I'm going to try to keep myself uh, audible. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I do the ones in Southern California where I, I live, um, and then I try to do one in the Bay Area every year, and I do New York every year, and I do this every year. So this is now a, I like to say, a permanent fixture in the rotation, and I love coming up here. Yeah. I know a lot of cool people up here, you, a lot of others. Oh, stop. Yeah. I mean, no, I mean, continue. Go ahead. <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, you know, Kyle from KaijuCast, all these guys, you know, I've gotten to know a lot of them better. And uh, I love the city and I love being here. So I love coming up and it's, Portland's a badass town. Yeah. Uh, you are tabling with, well, we say tabling in air quotes. Kyle described the booth. It's this amazing kaiju setup. I'm disappointed that nobody's come by in a Godzilla suit or anything. I mean, it, you know, what do you think about that? Well, you know, what's kind of weird you know, just wondering out loud, there was a guy, I've seen a person in a bathrobe, that Godzilla bathrobe that has like the head that you can put on. And I said, Hey, have I got a good photo out for you? And he was kind of like, okay, thanks. You know, like one of those, like blow you off, like, yeah, whatever, buddy. And it's like, okay, so why wouldn't you want to come over here? But anyway, we have had, uh, that said, we've had King Kong and we've had uh, a couple really funny ones. Actually, there was a person dressed up in a Spider-Man costume and that, that, that kind of like crouched down to get on the side of the building. And for, you know, people can't see it, but the building's only about four and a half feet tall. So the Spider-Man is like on the side of the building, kind of pushed up against it. It was hilarious. And we've had, yeah, we've had uh, stormtroopers, all kinds of cool stuff. You hear that, listeners? You're missing out. You got to come to Rose City Comic Con for this kind of thing. I'm sure you're going to be back next year. What you'll be doing, who knows? I mean, it's a year away, but... You guys always put on a good show, and you're always talking about Kadoja. Can you tell my listeners about it if they don't know what it is? Sure, sure, yeah. We're happy to say that it is relaunching. So, I mean, we talked a year ago. That was right on the heels of a Kickstarter that ended up funding, collecting the first five issues. Shortly after that funded, we got approached by a company called 215 Inc., they wanted to redo it, so we've been in a bit of a holding pattern, and now we are relaunching Kadoja. It comes out, I think the first day is October 14th, 2015, in everybody's local comic shop. So if your local comic shop doesn't have it, they should be able to get it for you. Um, issue one comes out then, and then we'll we'll keep on going. So we, we're kind of, if you have all five issues, you know, thank you. Um, and the world's about to catch up to you, and things will be caught up by about February, March. Nice. And then we're going to keep on going, because we have... Basically, the entire Kadoja story is going to last at least 25 issues in five-issue chunks or individual movies, if you want to think of them like that. That's awesome. Congrats on the success of Kadoja. I love it. Thanks, man. I mean, I'm, I'm glad to hear it. The response is really good. So hopefully, you know, it's just a matter of more people being able to check it out. I mean, for crying out loud, it's a new giant monster thing, you yeah. know? And you got to wait until, what, 2018 to get your next dose of Godzilla? You got to wait for a while to get your next next dose of Pacific Rim, but Kadoja's right here waiting for you. Yeah, and it's Lovecraft meets giant monsters. We're we're trying to amp up the Lovecraft angle a little bit more. I might need a moment. Hold on, because that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and and you know, I, I try to tell people that. And in fairness, if you read the first couple issues, you might be like, "There's a review out there that that really liked it, but also said like." I, I see what you're building toward, but I'm not quite sure what it is. It is it is Lovecraftian. Just nice. bear with us, please. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So anyway, no, it's it's great. I mean I it's it's a darker take on giant monsters or or rather like a non 
kid take mm-hmm. on giant monsters, maybe kind of like in the spirit of that Ultraman uh, yeah. TV show that's coming out next year, where you know it's it's for all ages. It's just not catering totally to kids. So that's kind of how we feel with Kadoja. You know, like it's a little bit more of a mature audience, maybe. Now, I think it was last year. We talked briefly about Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires. Have we caught up since then? Have you? Yes. We have. And what do you think of the film? I love it. I yes. love the film. I love the film. Yeah, it's it's phenomenal. I bought it right after we talked. Ah. I think I think I may have even ordered it. Like I may have stepped outside and just ordered it for delivery to my nice. house and then checked it out. Now the thing is, I haven't tracked down the Shaw Brothers edit yet. Oh god, I got the hammer yeah. edit of it. Um, but so I, I do still want to track down the Shaw Brothers. But dude, I loved it. It was great. It's it's mixing two wonderful things, you know. <laughs> it's hard to go wrong with Peter Cushing. You throw in the kung fu, you're you're in, man. That's I'm glad to hear that you liked it. And I'm glad that I steered you right now. I got to ask your advice for something. Sure. So you used to do a podcast called Neurometrics. Yes. And I really enjoyed it. Yes. Now you've moved on. You're doing the vinyl exam now. Yeah. But with Nerdometrics, what you would do is you would look at nerdy subjects and apply statistics to them, because you like numbers. Yes, that is correct. Um, and actually, Nerdometrics isn't dead. Oh, good. It's merely frozen in carbonite. Okay, right? that's, so, that's good to hear. Good to hear. So um, Nerdometrics is the kind of thing, you know, just a little bit of backstory. Mm-hmm. I was really into Nerdometrics, and it requires a lot of effort, because I want it to be, you know, good. I want it to be something that someone else hasn't thought too much about. And sometimes it takes a while to figure out that niche, like, what episode can I even do. I was really cranking along on Nerdometrics and then I changed jobs and got a day job that had a lot more responsibility and is a lot more involved. And I like it. I I don't mind it. But I haven't had time to really get a couple Nerdometrics out there. But um, what we're doing is we actually, on, on, a, on a random note, the Nerdometrics podcast has now been folded into kind of a larger podcast that we're calling, I think we're calling it Terror Mountain Comics. I just noticed that happen on my iTunes feed, that it switched over. Yes, so now it's the Terror Mountain Comics podcast, meaning Nerdometrics is kind of a component of it. We have uh, we just started an audio drama that's going to be up. Mm-hmm. So it's a Kadoja story. It's called Sentient. So again, if people look it up, Kadoja Sentient, you should be able to download it. It's a five-week podcast uh, audio drama that leads up to the re-release of Kadoja 1 that I was talking about. But Nerdometrics is not dead. Okay. Um, and in fact, there's a book over there. I just bought it at Powell's called uh, Naked Statistics. So like, <laughs> it, I haven't stopped geeking out on it. I just have to find some ways to apply it again. I have a couple ideas that I'm excited about but I need time to do the research and make sure they'll make a good episode. I asked you about maybe doing a Nerdometric style thing on my show. I didn't want you to think I was stepping on your territory, but I would like to, statistically speaking, try to determine what the best John Agar film is. How would you approach that? Okay, so probably what I would do, you just want like an off-the-cuff thing? Yeah. I would probably conduct a, I would create some kind of weighted uh, rubric, Mm -hmm. like a a weighted multiple thing, multiple component number, like Mm -hmm. an index, and I would probably factor in box office... Okay. Average Rotten Tomatoes rating and average IMDb rating. That's probably what I would do. And then if you wanted to, like, gauge popularity, um, maybe you could do, like, do a Google search for all the movies and see how many results each one of them turned up. Mm -hmm. And that could probably give you a good indicator. Fuse all those things together and you might get best. (laughs) Best is so tricky, right? right? So you can at least have what that would give you is that would give you what people like the most. Um, in terms of what they've seen. Um, and then you could probably use like some kind of box office revenue thing as well. You know, I mean, there's always a danger to box office revenue. Like, you know, it made so much money, therefore it must be incredible. Right. Um, but that's probably a good start. Listen to us nerding out over here over numbers at a Comic-Con. Go figure. 
Yeah, that's that's the new frontier of nerd. <laughs> you know, like like Marvel movies are mainstream now. But yeah, I, I I don't. I was just telling somebody this that like you know the the lagging wall of nerd. Mm-hmm. I want to try to stay paced ahead of it. So I feel like I need to like science and numbers are the new thing. And uh, and I'm probably you know going to return to Dungeons and Dragons too. <laughs> Because we're not nerd enough around here. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I what, you know, wearing an Iron Man T-shirt signifies nothing anymore. <laughs> but bo- boasting of my paladin with a plus three to attack, you know, that that's where the real nerd is. It's a different podcast, so Keith, thanks for chatting with us on MKR, and I hope you have a safe trip back. Thank you. Uh, what is your next show? Our next show is actually in New York. Okay. We're we're going to be at New York Comic Con. Okay. And I'll be we we're going to do a booth. Uh, our booth has Kadoja and our brand new comic that's coming out launching at New York Comic Con. It's called Three Protectors, and it's uh, science fiction meets kung fu. Nice. And then uh, I'll also be at the 215 Inc. booth. 215 Inc. has a booth, so I'm going to be signing, and I've already kind of offered myself up to, you know, spread the word about Kadoja as well. Right on. That's awesome. Best of luck to you. I am so excited about where Kadoja is going, and I look forward to what's coming up next for you. Thanks, man. Great talking to you. I feel like I kind of worked my way backwards here, because when I first started recording, I recorded with... Rebecca Hicks all the way in the back. However, the first person I saw that had some monster kid flair at their table was an artist by the name of Tad Galusha. You know what caught my eye? Creature from the Black Lagoon. Yeah, Creature from the Black Lagoon. He had a print. I had to stop and chat. And before I started recording, we were talking a little bit, and then he mentioned the sequels. And I rattled off the sequels, and he's like, yeah, yeah. And we talked a little bit more about that. I felt like we both kind of passed each other's Monster Kid Creature from the Black Lagoon test just to kind of see if we really were true fans, whatever those are. Anyway, I made a point as the show was winding down to get myself out to Tad's table to chat briefly with him. One of the first monster things I saw when I walked into Rose City Comic Con was a print of the Gilman from Creature from the Black Lagoon. So I had to go over to Tad Galusha's table and ask him about it. Tad, how you doing? I'm doing really good. <laughs> what do you think of the show so far? It was an awesome show. Uh, met a lot of really cool people. Got to see a lot of cool art. Made some money. Can't complain. Well, that's what the point is, right? I mean, you're a working artist. Uh, I saw the prints. Uh, are you doing comic art, illustrations? Yeah, I'm doing a lot of comic art. Uh, I've done some work with uh, Dark Horse, a little bit with Dynamite, and a few other companies. And uh, right now, I'm doing a book with Oni. We'll probably be announcing it sometime the end of the year, maybe early next year. But uh, yeah, yeah, and I do illustrations and all types of other stuff. When I first asked you about the print, we started talking about the three creature films. What is it about the Gilman that draws you so much? Honestly, I have no idea. I just think he looks freaking awesome. Yeah? Yeah, he's just way too cool, man. I just, uh, yeah, I grew up on the Gilman. That's yeah? Those were always my favorite movies as kids. So, yeah, I don't care if people aren't going to buy the prints, or if they do, I'm, I'm going to draw him. Yeah, he's just too cool. Remember the first time you saw a creature? Uh, yeah, first time I saw, the, I saw the first creature, I think it was about five. And then, oh, nice. uh, then of course, I rented the movie every Friday uh, night for the next three years. And then uh, I found out that there was Return of the Creature and The Creature Walks Among Us. And uh, yeah, and now I own all three of them and I watch them all the time. When we were talking, I mentioned Creature Walks Among Us being one that I've appreciated more as you get older. Yeah. You had the same experience. You know, it was one of those when I was a kid, you watch it, and it was like, uh, I, I, I didn't really get it. But it seems like there's a little bit more emotion that was put into the the, the actual, like, the creature, because it made you feel for him for the first time, where in the other two movies, he's kind of portrayed as the villain, where in that one, he's almost like, uh, you know, he's the victim. And, uh, 
yeah, and especially now when I watch it, I enjoy the movie a lot more. And uh, it's got a lot of depth, and it unfortunately gets kind of you know overshadowed by the awesomeness of the first one and the sure. second one. Sure. Yeah. How many times would you say you've watched these movies? Oh man, lost track. A million, maybe <laughs> two million. Like way too many times. Yeah. Way too many times. Now, do you like the other classics as well? I I like the Frankenstein movies. Uh, you know, Dracula was always awesome. I mean, come on, it's Bela Lugosi. You can't you can't beat that. It, the guy's just his acting is just phenomenal. Say what you will about some of the films he did; they weren't all amazing, but sure. he always brought a good performance. Mm-hmm. You know, the only one I never really got into was maybe the Mummy, but uh, oh, okay. I, I always liked the idea of it. I just for some reason I never clicked. I was always, I've always been more drawn to the more animalistic type characters like the creature and Frankenstein, the Wolfman. Wolfman was oh man, again he's another one where. Yeah, I'm I'm waiting for the day they they make another Wolfman movie that's on par with the original, and eventually they will. But right now they haven't come close. So, so they're trying to kick us out in case listeners couldn't understand what they were saying here. So we're wrapping up. But I got to ask just a couple more questions. Uh, has the classic films influenced your art specifically? Oh, definitely. I wouldn't be doing what I do for a living if it hadn't been for two films: King Kong, the yes. 1933 and the original Creature from the Black Lagoon. Those two movies were like the staple of my cinematic diet as a child. And uh, yeah, that's that's what made me want to do this. Uh, The last question. Website. Where where can people find you online? Uh, People can find me online at tadgalusha.com. We got a store there and uh, all my contacts info. So if anybody's got questions or concerns go ahead and uh shoot me an email uh i'm pretty uh i'm pretty open i know i'll be dropping you a line letting you know about some things coming up uh in november at the living dead horror con awesome and awesome. uh just you know, it's always good to meet another creature fan man yeah. so thank you oh thank you man as you can probably tell the show was shutting down so that's all i have from the convention floor tadgalusha.com and that's t-a-d-d G-A-L-U-S-H-A dot com is where you're going to find him. You can pick up that print for yourself. Just click on the store link. And just as a heads up, some of his artwork isn't necessarily safe for work, so you've been warned. The Creature from the Black Lagoon print is really cool, so go check that out. Docking maneuver completed, link up accomplished successfully, starting rocket motors to continue flight over and out. Next step, Mars, 35 million miles away. Mission Mars. Three astronauts on a mission to the forbidden reaches of the red planet, defying the elements, inviting death and disaster. Darren McGavin, who gambled his life on a fantastic mission to a world no other living man had ever seen. Oh, darling, I'm so scared. Nick Adams, who shared the incredible odyssey, living an adventure beyond his wildest dreams. Mission Mars. They met their destiny on a planet that time forgot. An adventure that smashes the barriers of man's imagination. Yeah! 
Mission Mars. Hi, this is Ruby. And I'm Hater. And we host the Mimiverse Bonfire Podcast. A podcast based on Christopher R. Mim, a Minnesota filmmaker who's got eight films under his belt, soon to be nine. And they're all 1950s style black and white movies. The podcast revolves around actors, the making of the films, and various other little fun bits. And technicians. <laughs> you can find us at SaintEuphoria.com Or like us on Facebook That would be the Mimiverse Bonfire Podcast Hope you tune in John Cocorn was the first man to be set up in a satellite And ejected back to Earth Something's wrong I'm falling too fast Golden Rod, I'm in trouble The jets aren't breaking my speed I'm releasing the drag chute Seven hours and his blood is still alive. Night of the Blood Beast brings you the first creature on Earth bullets cannot kill. This is fantastic. It's unbelievable. Things like this just don't happen. A blood beast that makes a dead man live. His head's gone. A blood beast that feasts on Earth scientists. The first satellite creature to impregnate man with its chromosomes. It's true. I can feel it inside. The first exploration into living space, exposing secrets too horrifying to reveal. You'll know days of nerve-straining suspense. <coughs> it's first-degree terror when you see... Night of the Blood Beast. Let's go ahead and get into some feedback here on Monster Kid Radio. We're going to start with this voicemail. Hello, Derek, you Monster Kid. You, this is your pal, Joust, calling from the rather fog-infested hills of beautiful Ocala, Florida. I've been a uh, somewhat long-term fan of yours now for quite a few months, and uh, I know we've um, communicated over uh, emails and so forth. So this is my first voicemail to you. I'm uh, enjoying your content. I listen to you uh, every week, sometimes more often. I just wanted to put in my two cents on a couple of topics that came up uh, kind of recently. Sometime back, maybe, I don't know how recently it was really, because maybe I was just skipping around listening to shows, but about monster rallies, every true monster kid loves a good monster rally, right? But I was thinking, perhaps the first monster rally, uh, minus the monsters, I guess you could argue, <laughs> would be um, 1940s You'll Find Out which uh, starred uh, the goofball Kay Kaiser and, um, of course, had Boris Bella and uh, one of my very favorite human beings of all time, Peter Lorre. Now, of course, they were not monsters, per se, but they were definitely mm, suspicious characters, um, diabolical minds, scary dudes, and it was a joy to see them all working together and as it turned out, they were definitely definitely um, malevolent. 
love to see you cover that film one of these days, if you ever get around to it or have the uh, notion to do so. It would be awesome to get your um, feedback on that one. Um, enjoyed your last program concerning uh, one of my, perhaps, probably actually my favorite kaiju movie of all time, The Gargantuous. There's one thing that you guys didn't mention in your discussion, and I don't know if it you didn't notice it or you kind of maybe hesitant to bring it up, but I have to bring it up because it's always been kind of the linchpin of uh, me enjoying it with some of my friends. You know, you ever notice uh, when in the American or the English dub version when Gyra and Sanda are going at it, they're using a, uh, it sounds like to the uh, American ear, an expletive. S-H. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when one of them knocks the other one down, you hear, well, poop. But not the word poop. The word uh, sounds like sheep, almost. Mm-hmm. That one. Check it out. It's <laughs> just thinking about it whenever I see the fight scene and uh, listen to uh, what to my ears is that word flying about. It definitely cracks me up. All right, Derek, I hope you have a great one. I'll continue to enjoy your programs and uh, hope to speak to you soon, perhaps in person. Thank you. Joust, I think the movie You'll Find Out totally counts. It's definitely uh, an awesome monster rally movie. No, it doesn't have the monsters, but it's got the men who played so many monsters in it, and I really enjoy the movie. I saw it for the first time a couple of years ago. It's on one of my Boris Karloff Bela Lugosi collections, and it's just a lot of fun. It made me want to research more about Kay Kaiser, Ishka Bibble, and the rest of the gang. It's a great film. I haven't talked about it on the show yet. It is something that I do want to get to at some point. I'll just add it to the list of movies that are kind of waiting for me to talk about. As far as War of the Gargantuas goes, I didn't pick up on that, but now I think every time I see it, I am going to hear it. It. Not the word you were implying, but I'll hear it. War of the Gargantuas is a great film. One of my favorite kaiju films. One of my favorite non-Godzilla kaiju films. I think I like the original Rodan just a little you know, better. It's my favorite. But War of the Gargantuas right up there. Although, I guess Frankenstein created You know, it's just a good film. Thank you for calling in. I really appreciate it. And yes, yeah, someday I'm sure we'll meet. We'll keep talking by email at the very least. And thank you for listening. Now, we also had a voicemail come in from Joe Iden about War of the Gargantuas as well. Hello, Derek. Joe Iden here, just commenting on your last podcast. I think it's so great you did War of the Gargantuas. I am a huge fan of that film. Uh, that is one of my three favorite Toho films, the other two being Frankenstein Conquers the World, King Kong Escapes. You know, there's not enough podcasts out there on War of the Gargantuas. There really isn't. Uh, a couple of things you mentioned, uh, you weren't sure who played the parts of the Gargantuas. That was actually Haro Nakajima who played uh, Gyra, the Green Gargantua. And of course, I, I know you're familiar with the name. He played all the monsters, played Godzilla in all those movies. And uh, the Brown Gargantua was played by, I believe it was his assistant or his understudy or just another suit actor, Yusakita, I believe it's pronounced his last name. So he played the part of the Brown Gargantua. You know, your, your uh, guest mentioned that um, the Brown Gargantua is actually the Frankenstein monster from Frankenstein Conquers the World. I never thought of it like that, but, the, you know, definitely that's absolutely a valid point. But I always kind of thought of it like this. When the creature died in Frankenstein Conquers the World, it was his cells that spewed the other 
the two gargantuas. And he had that flashback scene with the baby gargantua. I always thought that was the result of one of those cells mutating. Okay, you had one that on land and you had one in the water, and they happened to have the one on land. That's the way I always thought about it anyway, but uh, there's a, a couple of things you mentioned. The, uh, the song, sung by Kip Hamilton, and she was a uh, bit actress uh, back in the day. I've seen her on other shows, but uh, that song, it, the title is Feel in My Heart. It's not the words get stuck in my throat. It's Feel in My Heart is the name of the song. Actually, the song was covered by Devo. It actually shows up again, like quite recently. Uh, the latest incarnation of that cartoon, Scooby Doo, I believe it's called Mystery Incorporated. There is an episode of Scooby Doo, and I believe it's on Netflix, called Battle or War of the Humungonauts. And the whole episode is a homage to War of the Gargantuas. You got the two monsters that look like, like they look like gargantuas. The cartoon actually opens up as um, they're at a party. And the band at the party is actually singing Feel in My Heart, you know? So that was pretty cool. Um, I did know that about uh, Brad Pitt being uh, a big fan of War of the Gargantuas, and it was an inspiration to him. But also, Quentin Tarantino was a big fan of that movie. And I read an uh, interview with him, or saw an interview with him uh, a long time ago. When he was filming Kill Bill, I forget which one it was, the first one or the second one, he actually sat Uma Thurman and Daryl Hannah down and w- had them watch that movie for the fight scenes. Because when those two fought in that movie, he wanted it to be the War of the Blonde Gargantuas. I can't remember exactly what the fight was like, but I, I do distinctly remember that interview. So he's also a big fan of the film. I just wish Russ Tamblin was took it a little bit more seriously. You know, we, we really do miss Nick Adams in uh, War of the Gargantuas. It's too bad he, he wasn't in it. I had also read an interview with him recently that w- it was decades before he actually saw the movie. And I believe he was at a con or a show one, one, one year. And they were showing it in one of the theaters. And he went to the theater to see it. And he was really surprised at how well it actually came out. Because if I'm not mistaken, he, when he went over there to do that film, he's like a lot of other actors at the time, he just went over there to get the trip to Japan for free. When he saw the effects part of the production, he just thought he was in trouble. Oh my God, what have I gotten myself into? And I think that had a lot to do with his performance. That was an interview I read a long time ago uh, with Russ Hamlin. It was an interview about his career. And like I said, it was decades before he actually saw the film. I wonder if... He took it a little bit more seriously if we if he would have been a better performance, probably would have been a better movie. But I don't think he's terrible in it, but he's just you could just tell he's not really into it. But like I said, I, I love War of the Gargantuas. I've listened to the show twice already. And you know what's the best part is? Is you're going from one of my favorite Toho movies to one of my favorite Harryhausen movies, man. First Men in the Moon. Looking forward to that uh podcast. I really uh really a big fan of that film. You know, when they released War of the Gargantuas with Rodan on DVD quite a few years ago now, I gotta tell you, I was really disappointed we didn't get an uh, audio commentary on those two films, because that was put out by Classic Media, and all the other Godzilla films all had really good audio commentaries by guys like Steve Rifle, Ed Gajaszewski, David Callett, and I can't remember the other guy's name. But anyway, th- these guys are like authors and, uh, you know, 
experts on Japanese films and stuff like that. And uh, we really, those films really could have used an audio commentary. And I was really disappointed there wasn't anything on there. Also disappointed, I don't believe it got a Blu-ray release. You know, and uh, it's it's too bad because those films could really use a Blu-ray release as well. Uh, Anyway, as always, man, keep up the great work. I had a blast listening to the podcast. Looking forward to your next one. And uh, keep up the great work, man, and I will keep watching because you got a really big fan here in northeastern Pennsylvania. Take care, Derek. Bye. Joe, thanks for sending that audio file in about War of the Gargantuas. Yeah, you know, it really is a great film. I enjoyed the heck out of it. Thank you for giving us the names of the suit actors on that. I know that was something that I didn't know at the time of the recording. This was episode 235 of Monster Kid Radio for listeners playing along at home, by the way. So if you want to hear about War of the Gargantuas from me and Tony Wendell from the Gigantic Project, that's where you're going to want to go. So go check that out in the archives. I don't know if you need to listen to it twice. Joe, I'm flattered that you listened to it two times. Thank you for listening. I didn't realize that Tarantino was a huge fan, but honestly, I'm not surprised. That man is a student of all cinema. I'm sure he's got this movie once or twice in his collections. And yes, I think Rodan deserves a Blu-ray release as well. Man, it'd be awesome to have that on Blue. If Russ Tamlin had taken his role a little bit more seriously, sure, maybe the movie would come off a little bit better. I mean, it's still a good movie. He doesn't drag it down, but he's no Nick Adams. Not at all. I love me some Nick Adams. I love everything that he's done that I've seen. Even something like Mission Mars with Darren McGavin. I love it. I think Nick Adams doesn't get enough credit. And I hope you enjoyed the first Men in the Moon podcast. You know what? I think we're going to find out if you did because you called in again with some feedback on that. Hello, Derek. Joe Iden here again, just commenting on your uh, last podcast. I really enjoyed the first Men in the Moon podcast. I've always really liked that movie. You know, I know it's not a direct adaptation of H.G. Wells' book, but you know what? I don't care. I, I, I really liked it. The first time I saw that movie was probably when I was about 10 or 12 years old. And you, you know what? There's a lot of buildup in that movie. Before they actually get on the ship, there's a lot of buildup. But that was the first time I was ever exposed to Lionel Jeffries. I probably had seen Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, but wasn't familiar with it. I didn't realize it was the same actor. Yeah, I I thoroughly enjoyed your podcast because it's such a cool movie. Now, you mentioned that we don't see Harryhausen's effects until later on in the film. And that's true. You know, the the moon cow or moon calf, whatever they call it, which is a cool, that's a cool creature. You know, I love those big, those big mandibles, you know, and then the the leader of the, the aliens on the moon. But, you know, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, we actually do see his stuff a little bit earlier. I'm pretty sure that he did all the effects of the, the sphere taking off and flying through space and then, you know, making the turn at the sun and everything. I'm pretty sure he did all that, too. He just didn't do the stop motion, you know. He actually did the effects for the, the ship. I, I think so, anyway. I'm, I'm not sure about that. But I'm pretty sure somebody told me once that that is one of the effects that he did that's kind of missed. You know, you're waiting for the stop-motion stuff, obviously, in a Harryhausen film. And I'll tell you, uh, Harryhausen and uh, his producer, Charles Schneer, I, that's got to be one of those most successful partnerships in the genre. It really has It has to be, because um, they did so many great movies together. You know, my personal favorite is The Valley of Guanji. That's my f- personal favorite. But him and Charles Chenier, the producer Charles Chenier, they really, really had a fantastic partnership. And I think it was because, and I've seen interviews with Chenier, he trusted Harryhausen enough to just let him go. You know, his work took a while, 
but it was worth it. And I think Shanir knew that. So he was willing to drop the money. He was willing to, to, to wait till he got the effects from Harryhausen. And I, I think that's uh, a real testament to how much they trusted each other. You know, because definitely, I don't know about all of motion pictures, but definitely in the genre, the sci-fi fantasy genre, that's probably one of the most successful partnerships I think there, there's ever been. As much as I am a fan of Harryhausen, I'm a fan of Charles Chenier, and I think his name sometimes gets lost, okay? We wouldn't have these movies without producer Charles Chenier. You know, um, Mr. Beagler mentioned More Dead Than Alive with, with Clint Walker, and, you know, it's funny, I just recently saw that film. I think the MGM channel ran it once, and I, I caught the beginning part one day, maybe a couple days later I caught the end, and, you know, it did go. It goes in a direction that you didn't expect, and it's not a bad movie. I always liked Clint Walker, Night of the Grizzly, I really like that one too, but yeah, More Dead Than Alive is, uh, is good. And we get Vincent Price, you know, and Vincent Price playing, not really playing a villain, playing kind of an underhanded type of guy, but he's not really a, a villain in it. But uh, yeah, yeah, More Dead Than Alive, I, I liked it, uh, but it's not terrific, it's kind of, you know, it's one of those cookie-cutter westerns, you know what I mean? But it, it's not that Anne Francis, you know, it's always nice to see Anne Francis, but uh, you know what the great part is about More Dead Than Alive? Is if you look, you see that Clint Walker is actually still with us, he is still alive, he's 88 years old, he's still alive. So, uh, yeah, I, it was so funny that your guest mentioned that because I had just recently seen it. And I think it's worth checking out. It's not a Monster Kid movie, but you know what? We can expand our horizons. Us Monster, kid, Monster Kids, we love all types of movies. And especially if you get an actor that you enjoy. I always liked uh, Clint Walker and, uh, of course, Vincent Price. But, uh, again, great job on the podcast. I uh, always look forward to it. And um, so glad you hit First Men in the Moon because it's... Uh, it's it's a great it's a great film. I really like it, and I think you guys did a great job talking about it as always, like you always do. So anyway, keep up the great work, Derek, and I will keep listening. Take care. Bye. We talked about First Men in the Moon in episode two thirty six of Monster Kid Radio. That was just last week. Again, check the archives at monsterkidradio.net if you missed it, or iTunes, or Stitcher, or whatever. I had a blast talking about it as well, and I would not be surprised. If Harryhausen did do the effects of the sphere taking off, it makes sense. It's in his wheelhouse. Why not? And I also agree with you. Charles Chenier does not get enough credit. Or maybe he does, and he was just a modest guy. I don't know much about him. We know that he produced most of, if not all, of Harryhausen's stop-motion pictures. Well, I guess he didn't do all of them. There was the Hammer film I don't think he had anything to do with. But yeah, he produced so much of Harryhausen's work, and without him, I don't know if we would have had Harryhausen as the mainstay, as the icon that we have now. The Valley of Guanji is something that we did talk about here on the show a while back. Wow, that was back in 2013 in episodes 29 and 30 with Tracy Morris from Disney Indiana joining me to talk about the movies. You know, I love The Valley of Guanji because it's got Richard Carlson in it, who is just fantastic and mainstay in a lot of these movies. I've talked about him in The Creature Connection, which is uh, part of the Monster Rally Checkpoint newsletter. I'll talk about that here in a moment. Such a great film with so many excellent Harryhausen effects. As far as The First Men in the Moon, the Blu-ray looks amazing. If you don't have the Blu-ray, you got to check it out. Do yourself a favor. Get your hands on the blue. It looks awesome. Since I had Tom on the show, I haven't gone back to look up that Western that he mentioned. 
I just have so much on my to-watch list, but I like me a good Western, and I love me some good Vincent Price. Okay, actually, I love me some bad Vincent. I love any kind of Vincent Price, and I'm looking forward to Dr. Gang Green covering this movie in his Fantastic Films of Vincent Price series over on YouTube. Just look up Dr. Gang Green on YouTube and let him know that you heard about him here on Monster Kid Radio if you're not already a subscriber to his YouTube channel. Joe, thank you for sending in your feedback about First Men in the Moon, as well as War of the Gargantuas. Joust, thank you for calling in as well. You'll find out. Love that movie. If you want to contact us and get your feedback here on the show, there's a couple of ways you can do it. You can call us at our voicemail line. It's 503-479-5657. That's 503-479-5MKR. That's how Joust got a hold of us. If you want to send us an audio file or just a written email, you can email us at monsterkidradio at gmail.com. Of course, this contact information is in the show notes of this episode, and it's over on our website as well. Tomorrow, September 30th, Weird Wednesday, the Joy Cinema in Tigard, Oregon, 9 p.m., 21 and over only. Admission is free for the movie Argo Man, the Fantastic Superman. Here he is. Watch out. For here is a superhuman with the strength of a hundred men. No one and nothing seems able to stop him. Invincible, invulnerable. Argo Man, the fantastic Superman. But even he had his Achilles heel, a beautiful woman's kiss. Kill each other, kill each other. The Fantastic Superman. Kill each other. A man gifted with such extraordinary powers that ordinary men were helpless to cope with him. Everyone and everything was pitted against him. From hired killers to the most diabolical inventions of modern science. most beautiful women vied for his favors or the chance to kill him. Kill each other. Man, the fantastic Superman. Here is a picture which will take you on a journey out of time, carry you on a crest of thrills and laughter from start to finish. Be sure to see this Superman power.
miss it. You know, I think Jeff Punk Rock Martin put it best when he described the movie like this over at thejoycinema.com. This super import boasts over-the-top action and packs plenty of 60s Euro cool punch. This is a superhero movie. It's a Euro spy movie. It's a little sexed up. It's a lot of fun. I've talked about it here on the show repeatedly. This is one of my favorite movies from the Dorado Films Library, and I'm going to be introducing the film. So if you're in the Tigard area, get out to the Joy Cinema. They're at 11959 Southwest Pacific Highway in Tigard, 9 p.m. free, but, you know, spend some money at the concessions because that's how they pay the bills. I'd be happy to meet you if you come out. Talk about Argo Man or anything else you want to talk about. I'm hard to miss. I'll be the guy up on stage. I'll also be running around with my recorder beforehand and probably afterwards. That's Wednesday the 30th on Friday through Sunday. That's October 2nd, 3rd, and 4th. I'm going to be at the HP Lovecraft Film Festival here in Portland, Oregon. That's at the Hollywood Theater. Get over to CthulhuCon.com to check that out. I'm one of the guests, and I'll be introducing a film there as well. Friday night, 715 City of the Dead, starring Christopher Lee. This is Whitewood, Massachusetts. A young girl, a stranger, has come to Whitewood to do research. She has come, she thinks, to study. Leave Whitewood. Leave Whitewood tonight. I beg of you. Leave before it is too late. In spite of this warning, the girl lingers on. years old. Human blood keeps them alive forever. Barlow. also known as Horror Hotel, which is the title it was released as here in the States. Although I'm told that the version that we're going to be watching at the Hollywood is the UK cut, hence the City of the Dead, the UK title, which means there's a couple of extra minutes in there. I'll be introducing the movie again. That's Friday night at 7.15. If you're going to be in the area, you want to check out some awesome movies, some great short films, some other incredible modern feature films, City of the Dead, and maybe even attend to my presentation. I'll be doing a presentation inspired by the panel that I ran at CthulhuCon, Lovecraft Gets Hammered, where I'm going to take a look and guide you through some Hammer films that have that H.P. Lovecraft influence. No, there was never a flat-out Lovecraft adaptation, but there are at least four, if not more, Hammer films that have that Lovecraft touch. So come to that. Come to City of the Dead. I'd love to meet you. And again, I'm hard to miss. I'm the big guy wearing the Monster Kid radio shirt. I also might be looking like I'm having the most fun in the room. 
That brings us to the end of this episode of Monster Kid Radio. Thank you for listening. I appreciate you being along for the ride, looking back at the Rose City Comic Con, catching up on some feedback. Thank you so much. If you want to learn anything else about Monster Kid Radio, get to our website, monsterkidradio.net. I've been doing a lot of reworking on that, put in some new artwork provided by Shelby Denham. Check her out at shelbydenham.daportfolio.com. She's the person behind these awesome monster portraits. I hope you enjoy them as much as I have enjoyed using them to refresh the website. Just because the website's different doesn't mean the content is different. Our contact information's there, links to every song that we've played here on the show, a link to our Patreon page where you can become a patron of Monster Kid Radio, a link to get to the Facebook group so you can join other listeners, chat it up about monster movies between episodes or even while you listen. Also, on the right, enter your email address, hit subscribe, and you'll get yourself on the mailing list for the Monster Rally Checkpoint. This is the monthly e-newsletter where I put out some extra bonus content. I run a column called The Creature Connection, in which I connect Creature from the Black Lagoon to pretty much every other monster movie out there. There is monster movie trivia. Sometimes there's the occasional review, and this time around I'm reviewing the movie The Creep Behind the Camera. So go check that out. This goes out at the end of the month. So there's still time for you to get in on the September edition. Again, put in your email address, hit subscribe, and that's that. Next week on Monster Kid Radio, it's October. I want to spook it up. So, Paul McComas is coming back to Monster Kid Radio, and we're going to take a look at the Inner Sanctum Mystery Films from Universal. This is a series of films that came out from Universal in the 40s, starring one of the patron saints of Monster Kid Radio, Lon Chaney Jr., and an incredible pencil mustache. So we'll be talking about that next week here on MKR. Make sure you come back to monsterkidradio.net, iTunes, Stitcher, however you listen to the show, keep it locked in. If you are an iTunes user, we'd appreciate a review. If you're on Twitter or Facebook, please retweet the tweets or share the Facebook statuses, letting people know about the show. The more Monster Kids, the merrier. Again, thank you for listening, and thank you to the band D. Crabbin, and congratulations for releasing the new album, Mining the Geyer. You can find them over at dcrabben.bandcamp.com. That's D-I-E-K-R-A-B-B-E-N.bandcamp.com. Between now and next week, remember, I'll be at the Joy Cinema Wednesday night, the HP Lovecraft Film Festival at the Hollywood Theater this weekend, and I'll be right back here on Monster Kid Radio next week. Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution No Derivatives 3.0 unported license. Of course, that doesn't apply to the song Dinner Nina. That belongs to D. Crabbin. It's from their album Mining the Geyer. Check it out. Talk to everybody next week. <laughs>